Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. It's like he says, some of, some of you are gonna die, but don't worry, you'll be fine. And it's like, what? It's like when he tells Peter, Satan desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. And Peter's like, awesome. And then he goes, and when you've returned, you know, when strengthen your brother, return, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, I'm gonna let him sift you, you see. And what he's saying here is some of them, we're gonna go to their death. In fact, all of them, we're gonna go to their death. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Jesus is coming soon. We're in Luke chapter 21, and we will pick up today in verse 14. This message is primarily about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's listen in and see what the Lord has for us today. Now he's saying you can trust me in the hour of your trial to bring to your remembrance and give to you exactly what I want you to say to them. We have the same promise that he by his Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance the things he's taught us. I found him faithful in every situation. Once more, not only can he give you the right words, he can connect the dots and he knows the heart of the person you're talking to. So you can get past the superficial and go right to the heart of what's really happening because he knows. And so he's saying, that's why you don't need to pre-prepare. You don't have to think about, okay, well, if I find myself in that situation, what exactly will I say? You'll say what he puts in your mouth. You'll say what he puts on your heart. But the way we prepare and make sure we are prepared is we know his word so we can bring it to our remembrance. I think God could miraculously give you his word, but if he's gonna bring it to your remembrance, it's suggesting you already have it and you already know it. Well, again, he says the betrayal will be as bad as it could get. He already mentioned the synagogues. That means the religious leaders that they looked up to and, and listened to and, and followed after, they'd be responsible for these trials in the synagogues. But it gets even closer to home. You'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And then I love verse 18, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. And by your patience, possess your souls. It's like he says, some of, some of you are going to die, but don't worry, you'll be fine. And it's like, what? It's like when he tells Peter, Satan desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. And Peter's like, awesome. And then he goes, and when you've returned, you know, when strengthen your brother, return, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, I'm going to let him sift you, you see. And what he's saying here is some of them, we're going to go to their death. In fact, all of them, we're going to go to their death for their faithfulness to him. The one surviving apostle would be John, who, who didn't die, at least to my knowledge, uh, the martyr's death that these others died early. Well, in any case, not a hair of your head shall be lost. Why? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. They can kill your body, but they can't kill you. So he says, you'll be arrested by the religious leaders. You'll be handed over by your own family. You may die, but don't worry about it because you will survive. Now, these prophecies, of course, spoke to them personally and would be fulfilled literally. But we see this principle again as he jumps forward. And, and, and what happens in verse 20 on is he starts leading us toward his second coming. But he talks first about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and those things first century. And we know that, well, this will have yet another fulfillment, 21st century, and we'll talk about that. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation is near. 
Let those who were in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who were in the midst of her depart. And let not those who were in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. It's the days of wrath. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's Daniel's 70th week. That all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Already mentioned, literally fulfilled 70 AD. But because Jesus, as we press on, and when we get to verse 27, specifically says all of this leads to seeing him coming in a cloud as he promised he would. The return of our Lord to this earth to rule and reign. And again, I made mention of the fact we want to separate these two issues. There is nothing that has to happen that would... Well, that we could look for or, or uh, rely on that needs to happen before the rapture of the church. He could have raptured the church at any time in history, but there are some signs that have to take place before he could come again and rule and reign upon this earth. Why? It's two different things. First of all, first century, we know that Titus destroyed Israel. The temple was destroyed. Not one stone remained upon another. I would refer you to Josephus for the history on that. It is amazing the uh, why and how that prophecy was actually fulfilled. But um, here's the deal. Some things had to happen and have to happen before all this could can culminate. And, and well, what we know lies just ahead. I'll give you just four or five things to chew on and then we'll look at the rest of what Jesus has to say here. First of all, in order for these things to go on, in order for these things to be fulfilled, literally, Israel had to be in the land again. And you know, they were dispersed in 70 AD. Never in human history has a nation been dispersed and then found its way back. But they were regathered to the land in the beginning of the 20th century. In 1948, the nation was reborn. In 1967, they recaptured and took their capital. Now, there are a couple other issues. Well, there are a lot of issues, but I want to touch just on three or four. John tells us there's a character named the Antichrist who is going to come on the scene. He will be in part responsible for the rebuilding of Israel's temple. Here's why this is so important. Antichrist is going to enable or be a part of this solution so that Israel can rebuild its temple there in the land of uh, Israel and there in the city of Jerusalem. And well, they're thinking on that very temple mount where today the Dome of the Rock sits. Now, there are some different mindsets over there. There are those who say the Dome of the Rock has to go. That's going to lead to some serious problems. There are others who realize that that the prophecies related to the rebuilding of the final temple there. Well, they actually leave the possibility that that dome could stand. And there's this smaller uh, a little uh, arch. And uh, it's the place where they believe that Solomon's temple uh, actually stood. And so that the, the uh, Jewish temple could be rebuilt if they could deal with the political issues. And then the outer portion, as we read, by the way, will be given over to the Gentiles, will be given over. And so, you know, he was to measure the temple and its courts, but leave the outer part alone. And so... Uh, in any case, Antichrist has to be revealed for these things to happen because we're told that halfway through that last seven year period of, well, history as we know it, earth as we know it, when you read about the end of the world, not really an accurate uh, picture. It's the end of the world as we know it. 
but it's a better world that's coming. The one he said to pray for, the, the one where we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's coming. Well, Antichrist revealed, the temple rebuilt, halfway through the tribulation part, at the beginning of the great tribulation, the latter three and a half years of the tribulation, Antichrist is going to stand in the temple and he's going to declare that he's God and demand that he be worshipped as God. The penalty for refusing to worship him will be just like Nebuchadnezzar's penalty when those in uh, Babylon decided not to worship. The penalty will be death. And, and so you either worship him or you'll be put to death. Another issue is that in order for all these prophecies to be fulfilled, we need to be able to mark and track every person who's living on planet Earth. And uh, even conservative Bible students and scholars would look at that and say, well, that's just never going to be able to happen. That one can't be literal. But here we are living in a day where, you know, 30 years ago when Bible preachers and teachers would talk about the mark of the beast, you know, a mark in your right hand or your forehead, you'd see pictures or they made some movies that now kind of look, you know, they're cult classics. I mean, they're just funny, you know, it's just like the movies of the, the beach movies in the, the 50s and all that. But, but they show the mark and it's like one of those barcodes on your right hand, you know, or a little barcode on your forehead. We're a little bit more sophisticated than that now. Technology's changed a lot. We know it's not going to be a barcode. It doesn't need to be. It's going to be a chip. Why? Because even now they can put your whole medical history and your whole life history and all your banking information, everything that they might want to know or, you know, you might want to have in a little teeny chip and just embed it in you. Now, this is real practical. They're using it in cars. And if a car gets stolen, they can track your car. They're using it in animals. And if your animal gets stolen and you want them back, you can have them track your, your dog or your cat or whatever, your chicken, you know, whatever you've got. Uh, but, but the issue is he's going to require that every person be marked and no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. Now, again, that's not unthinkable to us. It, it makes sense temple will be rebuilt. Antichrist will be revealed. Everyone is going to end up having to worship him or the penalty for failing or refusing will be death. Another thing is we needed to be at the stage where we could transmit images worldwide instantly. And you know, television was the forerunner, but it never would have happened through television because you don't have that signal everywhere. What you do have everywhere is cell phones. It's not even about computers because we're not going to need them much longer. They're just going to make the cell phones better and better. If you have an iPod or you have a Blackberry or you have actually a lot of the newer cell phones, you can actually watch live streaming video from anywhere in the world. And so this becomes important because in the book of Revelation, it talks about two witnesses. I'll read it to you before we conclude. But, but two witnesses who are martyred on the streets of Jerusalem. And they're left there to just, well, they don't even bury them. They just leave there. And this satanic celebration starts taking place worldwide. It's like a, a satanic Christmas. People sending gifts to one another to celebrate the death of these two who we're told tormented them. Hey, it's a preview of their eternity. But the reality is we had to be able to get to the point and we're there where we could mark every person, where we could track every person, where we could watch these things in real time. We also needed to be at the point where we could annihilate ourselves completely. And you should be aware the nuclear proliferation, the biological weapons, the rise in terrorism. When I was younger... There was something called MAD, and they're still MAD. There's, that's, I think, Moms Against Drunk Drivers. But in those days, it was mutually assured destruction. This is in the Reagan years. And the idea was we were in the Cold War with Russia, 
And the reason we knew we were going to survive all that is that they valued life. They don't want to see their children nuked by us and we don't want to see our children nuked by them. So there was this standoff. It was called mutually assured destruction. And because they loved life and we loved life, we could be sure we'd all survive. Now we have an interesting situation where we have nations that embrace death, that strap bombs on their own kids, that pay people and families and celebrate the death of, of innocent people. And so that it's not the same love for life. It, it doesn't matter. They're going to die anyway. They embrace death. They, they see this as a good thing. And we have this guy, Ahmadinejad. I don't know if you're paying attention. I think we should be. He's saying he is going to develop nuclear weapons and he's going to launch on Israel and wipe them off the face of the planet. You know, he has maps and Israel don't even appear on the map. He's just trying to not have to make a new map. He just wants to deal with them and then say, my map's still good. But here's the real problem with them. Our politicians are saying, oh, don't worry about it. He's crazy. Yeah, why worry about the crazy guy with nukes? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, if he wasn't crazy, maybe we wouldn't need to worry about him. But, but the reality is, when Hitler was first rising to power, he told people exactly what he was going to do. And you know what? Our politician says, ah, he'll never do that. That can't happen. That's crazy. He's crazy. But, you know, he meant every word he said. And what was Hitler's goal? Uh, besides all the other people he hurt and murdered, he wanted to exterminate the Jews. What's Ahmadinejad's goal? He wants to exterminate the Jews. Why this special hatred for this little teeny nation, this strip that isn't any bigger than New Jersey or, or you know, less, less mass than California? Why? It's, it's spiritual in nature. It's satanic in nature. The desire is to wipe out those people because God has regathered them to the land and he's made promises to them that he's going to make good on. So my suggestion is, hey, I'm not worried about Ahmadinejad. And he said there was going to be some real special stuff. And then he announced, oh, we can enrich uranium to the point where we can make these nuclear bombs. They shoot off a rocket to say, look, we can, get, we can get it over there now. And people are going, oh, don't worry about it. Well, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm still going over there. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? He launches and I wake up in heaven. You know, it's, it's like to me, it's a win-win to live as Christ and to die as gain. But. We need to know that that the stage is set, that the signs of his coming are all around us. And really, that's what this chapter is all about. He's coming soon and he's given us all these things so we can know that he's coming soon. Well, Jesus says, by the way, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. It's important to know that all of these things... And so many more. I mean, that's why you want to read Matthew 24. That's why you want to read Mark 13. You want to be familiar with Luke uh, 21. And then you want to read the book of Revelation with an understanding that these things are yet future and they are going to happen. Not only all this chaos on earth, but signs, verse 25, in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Those words... Distress, they speak of anxiety and anguish. The word perplexity suggests there's no way out. There's no solution. There's no, there's no reasoning with people who love death and want to take as many out with them as they can. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things that are coming on the earth. The powers of the heavens shaken. 
It's interesting that these signs by many are called natural disasters, but the insurance companies have this one right. They call them acts of God. Well, then they will see verse 27, and this is really where it's all headed. They'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You know, first time I ever heard Raul Reese teach, he's got a pretty strong accent, and, and I could swear he said Greg Laurie, and I thought, whoa, Greg Laurie's coming back with Jesus, and, and uh, but then I looked at the passage, and lo and behold, there are no Calvary pastors mentioned by name in Luke. But it says they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Now that word, when these things begin to happen, that's important. What things? All these things that ultimately lead to his coming. Well, before he returns, there have to be the seven years of wrath. And, and before the seven years of wrath, there has to be the rapture. And well, why does it have to happen that way? Well, he gives us the answer here, but, but first he says, here's how we can be sure we're close. He spoke to them a parable, verse 29. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. It's an illustration that really works for us here in the, in the North State because in, in the next few weeks, we are gonna see all of those almond trees and all of those walnut trees blossoming and budding. And we're gonna know, hey, it's gonna get warm soon. If you live in Durham, the mosquitoes are coming back and, and uh, you just, you can see it. The signs of spring tell you that summer has to be near. And he's saying, when you see these kinds of signs, you know his coming has to be near. So what does he mean by this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place? Some suggest he means that the generation, the nation, the people of Israel. And listen, they're not going to pass away till all these things take place. They are at the epicenter of the whole thing. He is using all of the tribulation and the things that take place in it to restore to himself those he has restored to the land. But this generation isn't speaking of them here, though there are, they are a reality. No, it's talking about the generation that sees these things begin to take place. Our generation, this last generation. Well, take heed to yourselves, he says, lest your hearts be weighed down. Don't get bummed out, he's saying, as you read and consider these things. And don't let it lead you to carousing or drunkenness or getting caught up in the cares of this life. So that day comes on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now that just sounds like at first reading, all the people on the planet. But I'd like to suggest to you and, and I'll show you and prove it to you that it's actually a designation. It's talking about a certain type of person. And he's going to contrast those who dwell on the earth, those who are rooted in the things that are physical and temporal and natural with those who dwell in heaven, whose eyes are fixed on the Lord, who, who are folks focused and fixated on the, the supernatural, the spiritual, the eternal. He'll contrast the two. And I want you to make sure that, well, your citizenship is in heaven, that you're seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. See, that's a spiritual reality today, a, a literal physical reality someday soon when he calls us to be with him. Well, 
He says, then watch therefore and pray. And it's interesting. I have a lot of friends that struggle with this whole idea of a pre-trib rapture. All that means that the pre-trib rapture is that Jesus is going to call us home before he starts pouring out his wrath, before the first seal is broken and the judgments fall on this Christ-rejecting world. And my friends, and I have many that, that uh, are of a different persuasion, they'll say, you guys are just into escaping. You, you just don't want to experience tribulation and persecution. I said, no. Well, let me be honest. I really don't want to experience tribulation and persecution. But Jesus promised me, though, so I know I will. But I do want to escape the tribulation that he's sending, his judgment. And check this out. Anybody who says, oh, you guys are just wanting to escape. Jesus says here, pray always, verse 36, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it reasonable for him to say, pray that you could escape it and then say, nah, it's just kidding. Of course not. No, if he says, pray that we could escape it, it's because that's his intention. He is trying to align our hearts with his and secure our hearts. St stabilize us in these last days so we're not worried about us we're worried about those who are going to be left behind watch and pray that you'd be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man standing before him that's exactly what happens at the rapture we stand before him we cast our crowns at his feet we sing worthy 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 holy 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 we worship him as we're about to do here in a moment well in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. At night, he went and stayed at the Mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, the people came to him in the temple. Listen, this contrast between those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are earthbound, those who dwell on the earth. Let me give you four quick scriptures and we conclude with this. Revelation 3.10, Revelation 6.10, Revelation 11.10. All three of these flesh it out. Because you've kept my command to persevere, Revelation 3.10, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, if you only said it once, you could say, oh, you're just trying to connect the dots and they don't really connect. The test is on the world, but it's to test those who dwell on the earth. What does he promise to do? Keep you from the hour of trial. Revelation 6.10, And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are the martyrs under the altar. Who are those dwelling on the earth? Those who have martyred them, murdered them, who hate them and hate Jesus. Revelation 11.10, Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. He uses it twice there, and it's a reference to those two prophets slain and left alive, unburied in the streets of Jerusalem in the last days. Finally, Revelation 13, 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy. This is a reference to Antichrist against God. To blaspheme his name is tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. See, that's where it changes. Antichrist, blaspheming God, blaspheming his dwelling place, blaspheming those who dwell in heaven. Ephesians says, if you're in Christ, you are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, that your citizenship is in heaven. So he says, watch and pray. Hey, we're not watching for the Antichrist. We're looking for the return of Jesus Christ. We're not watching for signs and wonders and this and that, although we're paying attention. We know the days in which we're living and he holds us responsible too. Listen, here's our prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. In part one of this study, Pastor Sam asked the question, how do people feel when they hear it said that Jesus is coming soon? Well, this truth can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And the people who should be the most concerned about it are the ones who don't even believe it's going to happen. Now, this creates a pretty big need for evangelism, folks. But for those of us who are awaiting it, while it's going to be a wonderful event, there is still a warning attached to it. The end times are going to be challenging for many believers. But is that really anything new? But know this, when Christ does return, if we're alive, we will be facing the most amazing event perhaps the world has ever seen, our rapture. Now, even if we've passed away before the rapture comes, we will still be involved in it. We won't miss a thing. After describing this event, the rapture, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4.18 tells us to comfort each other with these words. These times are not a time for us to dread. They are a time in which we are to rejoice and be comforted that they are coming. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.